Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 30. The Sacking of Severus Snape. The moment her finger touched her mark, Harry's scar burned savagely. The starry room vanished from sight, and he was standing upon an outcrop of rock beneath a cliff, and the sea was washing around him, and there was triumph in his heart. They have the ball. I'm Casper Tekile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. If you're struggling to wrap your head around the new year, 2021, sign up for my pilgrimage. I am so excited about the group that we're bringing together from January 7th to the 10th. It's a calming, reflective, spiritual retreat to help you reflect and plan rituals for the coming year. We're going to be reading Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone together, so we'll be anchored in the text, but really exploring the questions of ritual and rhythm in our own lives while we do sacred readings and uh, sparklets, and it's going to be just fabulous. I really hope you'll consider joining me. Find out more on harrypottersacredtext.com. And as we're about halfway through the month, if you sign up in the month of December to support the new podcast on Patreon, you get a really beautiful pin with a little snippet of a quote from a beautiful Rilke poem, and it says, living the questions on it. So go to patreon.com slash notsorrypod. And we really appreciate your support to make that new podcast happen. A shout out for another new virtual local group, which meets on Sunday afternoons and is run by Catelyn Walker. Now, apparently it's just known as Book Group, but Catelyn and friends, I think we can do better than that. So I want to invite you to embrace a name that I'm going to suggest, which is Madame Puttyfoot's Sunday Tea Shop, because you could have your standing date pretending that you're watching Harry and Cho on an awkward date. 
as they go to Hogsmeade for a little cup of tea. So if you want to join this local group or any other local group, often now meeting online, go to harrypottersacredtext.com and click on the local groups. Vanessa, it's your turn to tell us a story this week. We're reading this chapter of The Sacking of Severus Snape through the theme of chaos. So I'm kind of curious what chaotic story you're about to share. So I was visiting my older brother, David, at college. He was at UC San Diego. And it's, you know, University of California campuses are huge. To get from one end to the other can be really like miles and miles. And I, in addition to having my brother there, I had a friend who was there. So one night of my visit with my brother, I walked across campus to visit my friend. And then it was late one night and I was walking back across campus. And it was like a beautiful San Diego evening. It was like 77 degrees, sea breeze in my face, like so pleasant. I love to walk. It wasn't a very long walk. It was probably a 20, 30-minute walk. I was just enjoying the peace of the evening. And a little golf cart pulled up next to me and said, hi, are you okay? And I said, yes, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm just walking from visiting my friend to visiting my brother. And they said, well, we really don't recommend that women walk alone at night on campus. We're the safety patrol. Can we give you a ride? And I was like, no, thanks. Like, I'm really enjoying my walk. And they were like, we're so sorry, but we really have to insist it's not necessarily safe for a young woman to be walking alone at night. And I was like, fine. So I get on the back of this golf cart and they take off. (laughs) And then next thing I know, I have flown out of the golf cart. I am waking up from a mild concussion. I'm holding on fiercely to my purse, which I like having a death grip lest I fly through the air and get separated from my purse. And the safety patrol officers who are like sophomores in college, right, are staring over me being like, oh, my God, are you okay?" And like these two. 19-year-olds were trying to create order, right? They were trying to create safety. And instead, they probably created a much more chaotic moment than anything I would have encountered on my lackadaisical walk. And it just leads me to believe that, of course, there are moments that like, we should stay calm and that we can try to make sense out of the nonsensical. But often those attempts to control things, right, just create more chaos. And I think we see that with what Voldemort is up to. He's just trying to control a few small things and more and more chaos is erupting out from under him. So basically what I'm saying is that those two safety patrol officers are like Voldemort. (laughs) Well, Vanessa, you may have escaped falling out of a buggy cart, but will you escape a 30 second recap challenge? I didn't escape falling out of a bike cart. (laughs) And nor will you survive this 30-second recap challenge. Wow, ominous. (laughs) But you have to go first, my love. Oh, bummer. Okay, maybe I'll retract my previous statement. Will you count me in? Happily. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Electo has um, called Voldemort and Harry's like, oh my God. And then Luna stuns her and it's like, ah, every and all the little Ravenclaws like, 
what's going on? And one of the, like, pods the, pro- prods the, prods the body. She's not dead. It's fine. Um, and then Amicus comes and then McGonagall comes and, the, and it's like showdown time. And then she ties them up with a string and hangs them on the tree with a bow. And then she goes downstairs and sends three cats. And then suddenly Slughorn is out of breath. And then Snape is there. And then she's like, I will challenge you. And they duel. And then Snape jumps out of a window. And it's time for the Battle of Hogwarts and everyone arrives. I cannot believe that you didn't start where I am now going to start. Oh my God, I'm so excited. 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Percy is back. He comes and he grovels and he's like, I'm so sorry. I was such a jerk. And Fred and George are like, yeah, you were. And he's like, yeah, I was. And Ginny is there and Tonks is there and Fleur is there and Lupin is there. And just like everybody's there. And it's so nice. Katie Bell is there and they've all been summoned. And there's a Snape shaped hole in the window. He is run away like the little coward he is. Sorry, I said Tonks. I was so excited. Tonks isn't there. Well, we get to see like a little baby of Tonks in a photo and it has like turquoise hair and it's very cute. So Tonks is there in spirit. Yeah, yeah. Tonks is there. Yeah. Probably in the photo. Like she's probably holding him. Casper, let's start with the most important moment. Percy coming back. (laughs) I feel like our roles have reversed. I mean, I'm just so happy for Molly. Yeah. It's actually a sad thing that I want to call our attention to with Percy coming back, which is that Molly is obviously very focused on this, like, really big deal of Percy coming back. And there's a line in the text that she pushes Fred aside. And we know that just in a chapter, Fred is going to die. And so I can just imagine that this is going to be a moment that Mrs. Weasley regrets, that she remembers that potentially her last interaction with her son was yelling at him for allowing Ginny to come and then pushing him aside. And to me, it points to the fact that trying to control chaotic moments can only happen through a lifetime of treating someone well. I would hope that Mrs. Weasley doesn't look back on these moments as bad, but that she was in a chaotic moment. And so she didn't necessarily treat her son with reverence and always look at him and say, I love you but that she knows that over the 20 years of his life, like this child knows that he was loved by Mrs. Weasley. And we know that Fred isn't bothered by being pushed aside or yelled at about Ginny. But I can imagine that Mrs. Weasley is like, it was a moment of abject chaos. And the last thing that I did was push him aside. I think this example is really interesting, Vanessa, because so often when we think about chaos, We think about confusion, right? We think about people not knowing what to do, where to go, what is happening, what the right response is. And I do think that's true. But in this chapter, the thing that really stuck out to me was that chaos seems to be clarifying. Like it seems to be simplifying and reducing the the, the complexity of the situation and making the essential really clear. So for example, we see Percy returning And there's this moment of like, well, yeah, you are an awful prat. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 you were. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I was. But like the family coming back together is really clear, right? That happens so, so quickly in what otherwise could have taken days, weeks, months. We see McGonagall protecting the castle. We see her instructing the suits of armor, do your duty, right? Protect the school. We see Flitwick and Sprout also become very, very clear very quickly about what they need to do, where they need to go. And in some way, for Harry, he's still really, really clear about what he needs to do is find the diadem, find find the Horcrux. Voldemort is coming. And even for Voldemort, it's becoming clear about what he needs to do, right? He's checking the Horcruxes and he's coming to Hogwarts. So 
I guess I'm what I'm asking in all of that is, do you think this chapter is actually an accurate reflection of what chaos is? Or is it giving us too simple a reading because everyone seems to be finding clarity and purpose in this moment? I mean, I think it's um, a hero's post-mortem on what chaos is. Mm. These are the characters with agency. These are the characters with purposes preset. Yeah. McGonagall knows what her purpose is and she enacts it. Harry knows what his purpose is and so he enacts it. Snape has dual purposes, so we see him fly out a window. We see the absolute (laughs) chaos of children running around in traveling cloaks in the middle of the night and of Slughorn, I think, being an embodiment of that chaos of, like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And making some sort of reasonable points of it's too late. Are we really turning all these children into warriors, right? And so I think in chaos, some... Leaders, hopefully, if you're lucky, have real clarity. But what I'm curious about is what we do with those moments of clarity after the fact. So I think McGonagall is making a lot of decisions really quickly, right? Underage students out of here. Slytherin House is going to have to figure out which side it's on. If you're older than 17, you can stay. Uh, We're all on Harry's side, right? Like she's making a lot of decisions very quickly. And what What I wish we had more sympathy for is the postmortem on chaos, at least for civilians, right? I don't think we should be super forgiving if a surgeon, like, loses their self-control during a really tense moment or a police officer loses control during a quote-unquote heightened moment. I think that there are certain professions that are trained for the chaotic moment. But for chaotic moments that are outside of the norm, I just wish we had more sympathy for each other. I think we are very hard on people for the decisions they make in chaotic moments. And I'm thinking about the doctor in New Orleans who euthanized a lot of her patients in the days after Katrina. She had a lot of patients who were dying painful, awful deaths. They didn't have any clean water. All the generators had died. And she made a very difficult and complicated decision to help keep alive the patients who she thought she could keep alive to end the suffering of patients who she thought were just going to suffer, right? Hurricane Katrina, the days after Hurricane Katrina to me are like the emblem of chaos. No idea when anything is going to happen again. And she was just held to such high account as a criminal afterwards. And the thing that I want to really hold up is I want to celebrate a lot of people in this chapter for doing such amazing things in a moment of crisis and chaos. And yet I also don't ever want to hold anybody accountable for what they do in moments of crisis and chaos. Vanessa, that is the most helpful distinction to understand, I think, what's happening in this scene, because the characters that we know and love, as you say, they're all having a purpose. I mean, so many people are entering the castle in this moment precisely because this is the showdown, right? Like, we, we're actually going to fight. This is the moment. And so there is that very, very clear sense of direction. But most of the people inside the castle right now, 
it is total chaos because they don't have a sense of of clarity. They don't even know what's happening. Their first priority is like, how do I find safety? Where do I go? There's Death Eaters everywhere. There's Dementors outside. They're in Hogsmeade. Like, I can't disapparate. How am I going to get home? So I'm really appreciating your kind of shifting the lens to look at some of the other characters. And I think you mentioned the students generally, which is absolutely true. I think one place where we really see it is with the Ravenclaws, right? We're in Ravenclaw Tower. They hear shouting, they hear noise. Some of them come downstairs from their bedrooms and they see one of the head staff lying apparently dead on the floor. And, you know, some of them run back upstairs because they're terrified, understandably. Some of them are 11. Yes. So it's 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 just really helpful to, to shift the lens away from our, our characters that we know and love to think of that broader sense. Because for them, yeah, the chaos is confusing and not just that, but terrifying. Well, and I would say that in this moment of chaos, even our heroes behave in ways that, I mean, are awful, right? Harry is hiding under the invisibility cloak and is trying to figure out a strategic thing to do. And then Caro spits at McGonagall and that's it. Harry is suddenly able to use the Cruciatus curse correctly. I would like to think that in a week or in a month, he's ashamed of that. And is like, I can't believe that I used the instrument that they use, right? Like, he could have just stunned him, right? Like, there was no need to Crucio. And again, I just think this is a moment of chaos. And yeah, it's not clarifying for Harry. It confuses his whole identity. We think about him as the king of Expelliarmus. And here he is. He's the inverse of himself, And it's so striking in particular because we've just seen Luna stun Electo. So the the comparison is right there. And just moments later, it's not just Harry uses an unforgivable curse. McGonagall then uses the Imperious curse in a way that is, again, using the weapons (laughs) of the other side against them. And it made me think about how chaos can unleash the warrior, but also a, a sort of a monster this part of us that is beyond our control. I guess that's partly what chaos means, right? It's it's not under control. There's just so much haphazard movement all around and that, that movement isn't just exterior, but also within us. Uh, our values are not guiding our choices. And in some ways, the McGonagall move is even more frightening to me because we've always seen her holding things together. And she does hold things together in this chapter. I I don't want to paint her as some sort of rampage on the loose. She's very controlled about how she's going to protect the castle. But in that moment, there is something deeply, deeply vengeful and personal that's coming through for me. McGonagall's arc in this chapter is fascinating because she starts by coming in as an agent of stability. She looks something right. chaotic has happened. Here I am. She calls Amicus Professor Caro, right? And she she mm. gets into the Ravenclaw Tower with this riddle that to me is about God. The password for Ravenclaw is about trying to create order out of chaos. It's where do vanished objects go? And she says they return and are therefore everywhere, which Mm. to me is very much trying to take a chaotic idea that people die, that objects vanish, that we don't understand everything, and is trying to create order around that. And then she just flips so quickly with this imperious curse. There's, again, just no reason why she couldn't stun him, right, and like do all the same things. And so, yeah, I think that we see how fragile we all are in moments of chaos. We we really don't know how we'll act. 
And there's also something about this chapter, although it's chaotic for people who don't know what's going on, for those who do, it feels like this is the calm before the storm, right? This is the clarity before the chaos. Because the next chapter, we're going to see everyone, even though they have a clarity of purpose, there are curses flying left, right, and center. You don't know who is where, what is happening, what's falling on top of whom. And and just the chaos of war is going to become so dominant in that next scene. When I was thinking about where does chaos show up in this chapter, part of me was thinking about actually it's the promise of chaos. It's this impending sense of chaos's arrival. And this is the moment in which people are choosing, okay, how am I going to orient myself in that chaos? And Snape being of particular interest, as you said, I mean, he literally turns into a bat. So we, he's learned something from Voldemort in this year. And I wonder if you can help me understand that moment between McGonagall and Snape, because it starts off as this curt interaction of, you know, why are you in your dressing gown? It's why are you parading the school corridors? It's not your night to be on, on duty. But there's this very strong subtext that everyone clearly is aware of, that Harry is present. Can you help me think about where chaos shows up in that interaction or in Snape generally? Yeah, I mean, I think that Snape's life is one of chaos where he has to fully live two identities. And this is one where he's trying to really live both identities. I have to save Harry. I have to pretend to be a Death Eater. I have to pretend to be this bad guy to McGonagall, right? Like, And so he just interrupts the conversation and walks away. He like does what a two-year-old does in the face of chaos, right? It's just like, (laughs) ah, break down, fall asleep. (laughs) I guess I think that probably for McGonagall, this feels like a relational break, whereas Snape has made this compromise that McGonagall is going to think things of him long ago. I think that this is a much more fraught moment for McGonagall than it is for Snape. What do you think? I mean, honestly, I feel like the break with Snape probably happened when Dumbledore was killed. So it, it's pure, probably mostly pretense at this point. And I, th- I feel like you can see that in that interaction. But each of these moments, right, with the Caros, with Snape, they're like little skirmishes at the beginning of the war, right? They're like shots fired across the bow. They're, they're small engagements before the kind of battle that that is coming, and it feels like maybe for McGonagall, what's changed is that the war has begun. The rules are different. And she says, you know, Slughorn, you are either staying and fighting with us or you're leaving and we duel to kill. She's very clear about that change of mode. I mean, she wouldn't go up to Slughorn on a Monday afternoon and say, you know, you're a Slytherin and I don't like you. <laughs> we duel to kill over dinner. But like the rules have changed and it's war. And maybe... What I had previously read is this chaotic moment where she's using an unforgivable curse. Actually, she's made a decision that the rules of engagement have changed. And, you know, in some way, she's being lenient by not killing the Caros. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And I love that Sprout is immediately on board. Sprout is like, yep, it's wartime. Got it. Let's go. I have these plants that can help. And let me go and form my house. And I think Flitwick falls in line pretty quickly too. You know, and then McGonagall's even harnessing an agent of chaos in Peeves, right? Yes. And she cuts off Filch. She's like, Filch, you've been here for 25 years. I need you to get me Peeves. And basically like, and go away. There's some real clarity for her. And it's a brutal form of clarity. It's you're with us or you're against us. There's no room for nuance here. Vanessa, I have a question for you. One of the things that really struck me in this chapter is that in the face of war, in the face of chaos, it's the young people who are leading. 
I mean, from the moment, like, the little Ravenclaw first year who, like, puts his toe up against one of the Carrows to see if they're dead, to the fact that it's Dumbledore's army that calls the Order of the Phoenix, to the fact that it's Harry saying, McGonagall, it's it's time to fight. You know, this is this is coming. It's young people who are leading in the face of chaos every time. And as I get older, I notice myself being more and more cautious. And I think, you know, in social movements, nearly always they're led by young people. And I think it's partly because young people are blessed to lose but I, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm not exactly an old person, but I feel more embedded, right? Like I have rent to pay. We have loans to repay. I've got a job. Smaller bladder to march not as long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get tired and grumpy if I don't have chocolate on the regular. So like, is this an inevitable thing? Because there are some people who withstand that, I don't want to say growing conservatism, but growing caution as they grow older, but I I don't feel like I'm one of them. I feel like I am getting more cautious. And I, I'm just curious if you feel that in your life or how you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think it takes all of us. It's my job as a middle-aged person to turn to young people and say, what do you want me to do? I'm here with the 50 bucks if you need it. Tell me if you want me to march with you and I will march with you, right? What I remember when I was young is that the difference that it made when an older person in my life said they believed in me, paid for lunch, so $6 that I thought I was spending, it turns out I wasn't spending, right? Like, young people need the support of slightly older people too, and we need the guidance and wisdom of people older than us and of people younger than us. So I just think it's about not saying one is better or worse, staying cautious to make sure we don't become too conservative, And to really just always have an ear facing toward young people, right? McGonagall Mm. is listening to Harry. Yeah, and she's mobilizing her resources behind what Harry is saying. Right. And because she's older, she has a relationship with Sprout that's 40 years old. So they can just look at each other and be like, got it? Got it. And suits of armor, like ready to roll. (laughs) Suits of armor who trust her and are like, you would never ask us to do anything that would hurt Hogwarts. Whereas if Harry was like, suits of armor, go. They'd be like, who are you? We need all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And from a movement perspective, that's actually a really interesting comparison with book five, where Harry spends so much time not being believed by authorities. You need those maybe trustworthy or authority-based intermediaries to move the machinery of institutions to support the cause of, you know, I guess the profit figure in this case, Harry. And so in that way, McGonagall plays a really important role role in preparing for the battle that's coming in the next chapter. Yeah, that's really helpful. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, 
you can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Can we just spend, this is not going to surprise you what I want to do, but like, can we just spend a moment mourning how horrible Hogwarts must have been because of the chaos that we walk into? The Carrows quickly decide that Voldemort is going to be mad that they called him because Harry Potter's not really here. And so they decide to blame the Ravenclaw kids that, like, the kids lied and it's the kids' fault that Voldemort got called. And they say, a couple kids more or less, what's the difference? So this is where we see the chaos of the last several months embodied in this one interaction, right, of, like, the absolute chaos of the reality of Hogwarts, where it's a school where every child is supposed to matter and it's become a place where a couple kids, more or less, who cares? Like, we heard from Neville the, like, ups and downs of this place, but I think that this moment shows us more than anything else how degraded of an institution this has become. Yes, absolutely. It's it's turned into a horror show. And, and I think we see how bad it has become by the fact that people are relieved that they can fight the fight that has been coming. There's a sense that they've just been waiting for this battle and now it's here, so everyone's ready to show up. And I think you even see that readiness and that willingness to break lines that have been held so strong again in Percy. I mean, he ends up describing how hard it was for him to get out of the ministry because of what he knew the retaliation would be, but that he's managed to somehow build a relationship with Aberforth, which... That's a whole book I want to read at some point. But there's this sense of like a dam that's breaking, right? All of this energy that's being held now is the moment that the showdown is going to happen. And that relief is because it has gotten so bad in the school, in the world, yeah, in the whole wizarding society. It is time for Lectio Divina, and I am flipping through to pick a sentence. Here we go. I thought I heard a disturbance, said Professor McGonagall. Oh, this is when Snape is asking her why she's out of bed and, like, what she's doing. Yeah, and she's like, what? I thought I heard something. (laughs) And she's, like, smacking her gum and, like, twirling her hair. Like, by the way, you look great tonight. (laughs) Aren't we supposed to make sure that no one's running around the corridors at night? I thought that was my job. Yeah. (laughs) Well, step one, done. (laughs) Um, Okay, so step two is when we ask ourselves what this moment reminds us of from other stories. So it's, 
I thought I heard a disturbance, said Professor McGonagall. Hmm. I'm really going to surprise you right now, Casper. It reminds me of Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. I love that book. (laughs) It reminds me of Jane Eyre because, okay, spoiler alert, everyone. Rochester's wife is locked in the attic and Jane sometimes hears things, right, in, in different circumstances. And so she thinks she hears a disturbance and is constantly convinced that it's not really a disturbance. It's Grace Poole. It's all of these other things. And she didn't hear a disturbance, Jane, right? What she heard is like the first lady of the house. Jane is the disturbance. Mm. So yeah, that's what it reminds me of. What about you? Oh, that's so interesting because that would either indicate that McGonagall's the disturbance, but I don't really think that's what it is. It's that Snape is the disturbance. Right. It's like, I thought I heard a disturbance, you. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm thinking about how disturbance is often used as like a public safety mirage or this or protest, right? Like, I just watched that great movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. I know I'm a little behind the times. And I wasn't familiar with this piece of American history at all. And just the way in which the police and other authorities basically made no space for a very legitimate protest to happen, which they had been warned about multiple times. And then when people inevitably show up to protest against the Vietnam War and against the convention, the police position this as some sort of disturbance. And so it's like, well, who has set up the conditions so that we think of this as a disturbance? So again, like that points to what you were saying before about the the design of Hogwarts in this moment and who gets to say what is a disturbance and, and what is a healthy sign of life, I think is a really good way to read that. I like that. Oh, I love that. That leads into step three for me, which is we live in a house that is about 110 years old. Mm. And my dog, a couple of months ago, started barking ferociously at night. Is there a ghost? Well, so I followed her to the window to see what she was barking at. And she was barking at a possum who lives under our front porch. (laughs) And I was just thinking, you know, like this house, Peter has owned it for 10 years. Let's say we live in it for 30 years. It will stand for 100 years after that. Like we are a disturbance. Like maybe this Mm. possum family has lived under our front porch for generations. And like, you know, this is like the ninth generation possum. And I love thinking about this house and like all of the creatures that live in it, as long as they aren't like mice on my stove, we have more birds than I will ever know in our ivy. We have a bunny who loves Mm. our grass. And I just like, Love that I don't even know all the animals who live here. And Hmm. I think most likely I am a disturbance to them. Mm. They don't physically pay rent, but they just like aren't capitalists. (laughs) And they also don't live rent free in your mind, clearly. (laughs) I love them. (laughs) What about you, Casper? What does this sentence remind you of? I thought I heard a disturbance, said Professor McGonagall. There's a couple places my mind goes, but I'm thinking, especially now, you know, we live on the ground floor of an apartment building and the sirens are back. Like every day there'll be uh, an ambulance passing by. You know, this week, America had 3000 deaths in a day from COVID. And that's a sustained number at the moment, hovering around that 3000 mark. We're having like four of the eight most 
deadly days in American history, like back to back. And honestly, the thing that I feel most, yes, there's the disturbance of like the sirens, but it's how undisturbed we are. I, I cannot get over how little response there has been from us. And I don't want to overly blame us as individuals and citizens. I want to ferociously blame the country's leadership. There is such an absence of empathy or attempting to bring people together or to mark the grief that this moment should demand from us. The fact that we are so undisturbed. that There's our... a 9-11 every day. Yes. Yes. It's insane. It is insane. I know I'm going on a rant here, but the thing that breaks my heart is that if there was an invitation to grieve, to come together as there was after 9-11, as there was after, you know, the tube bombings in London or any moment of collective horror, there is within each of us a potential for compassion and understanding and grieving that could be unleashed and could transform us in this moment. I really believe that. And because it's there's no disturbing of the everyday to make space for that, we're just all holding it inside. And I personally feel like I'm bursting because there's there's nowhere to put it, or at least I'm struggling to find a place to put it. And I don't think it should be on us as individuals to figure out how that is the duty of, of leaders. So- well, it, it, you know, in the Vietnam War, every night on the news, they would list the names of all the people who died. And right. my understanding from, you know, people who I know who had TVs at the time was everybody had the news on and everybody went quiet. Like, people would stand. I mean, that's what you see in the movie I was just mentioning, right? Like people would stand as those names were read. Just some small element of dignity and respect in the face of these horrors. And I'm disturbed by the lack of disturbance. I guess that's that's what I'm what I'm trying to say. So what do you feel called to, Casper? I thought mm. I had heard a disturbance, said Professor McGonagall. Well, I feel like the answer is, is obvious now, which is to try and find some way to do that. And, you know, there are small things like there's there's a couple of wonderful Twitter accounts that I follow that share people's stories about people who've died, share their names. But, you know, I see them and I'm, I notice it and I scroll. It's in no way sufficient. Yeah, I need to find some way to to mark or to honor the people who have died, people who are sick, it's not even just the people who have died, right? So many people have all these long, long-lasting impacts from COVID. So I need some to find some way to mark that before the end of the year, at least. Maybe you and I can come up with something, a small way to do that for the Harry Potter yeah. and Sacred Text listeners in the new year. Yeah, that that would be really nice. I like that, Vanessa. Thank you. Well, I think I'll steal that action that I'm going to take it on myself to lead a little project planning so that in a future episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, we can at least hold a little bit of space for all that grief. Maybe we can find some way to invite people to share stories of loved ones that they've lost or who are suffering. Yeah. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. 
They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Amanda. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, Ariana, and the whole Harry Potter sacred text team. My name is Amanda, and I'm calling from Bennett, Colorado, uh, which is just a small town east of Denver. Um, I really just wanted to call in with kind of a funny, sweet observation I just had and see what you guys thought of it. As we know, uh, since book one, Harry has been very interested in what's going on around him. Uh, which is my nice way of saying that he's nosy. (laughs) So uh, we see him gathering information in each book, right? Whether he's using it, um, well, he's using his invisibility cloak, he's prying it out of Hagrid, he's using polyjuice potion. Um, The list just kind of goes on and on. But it just kind of occurred to me that the one person who probably unknowingly taught him most how to eavesdrop and spy in the first place (laughs) was none other than Aunt Petunia. Uh, Aunt Petunia raised Harry, and it's been mentioned in the book several times that she has a knack for snooping and knowing all the current local gossip. Um, So I just have to wonder if Harry picked up on some of her techniques and maybe even inherited some of her his curiosity and nosiness from Petunia. Um, I realize that there's some irony here because she withheld so much information from Harry to begin with, like about who he is and his parents and him being a wizard. Uh, But I I just thought it was kind of funny (laughs) that after spending years watching her and being raised by her and seeing her methods that he's maybe able to apply some of her practices to his own life in the wizarding world. Um, I'm sure that if they had a better relationship, Harry probably could have gifted her with a pair of extendable ears for Christmas and just totally won the holiday. Um, So I guess on that note, just a blessing for Petunia. She definitely has her flaws, a lot of them, and she has not been a good guardian for Harry. Um, But she did still teach our hero a valuable skill, which ended up saving his life countless times, as well as the wizarding world. Um, And on that note, a blessing for all people who are labeled as nosy. Um, (laughs) Sure, there are toxic aspects to gossip, but um, there's nothing wrong with being observant and wanting to know as much information about your surroundings as possible. And it's the best part of getting together with friends and, uh, you know, chatting about what the new happenings are. So 
there's good aspects to it too. Um, but thank you so much for this podcast. You guys are awesome. Uh, and I love the community that's come along with it. The voicemails always have me crying almost every week. So <laughs> hopefully this adds a little bit of uh, joy and that you guys, I'd like to know what you think. So uh, blessings to you all. Have a great day. Amanda, thank you for allowing me to talk about one of my favorite things, which is the word gossip. I think that you're pointing us to such an important gendered aspect of gossip. I think that exchanging of information when done by men is diplomacy or business or important work on the golf course or right, (laughs) like has all of these like really serious connotations. And when two women are exchanging information, it's gossip. And I think you're pointing to this beautifully, right? Petunia's nosy and she has a long neck and she wants the gossip, but Harry is a warrior. And so I just want us to question, you know, it's about when is the exchange of information done with love and goodness and for good reason? And when is it not? But this like gossip versus diplomacy and like credibility versus, oh, just housewives doing what they like to do is a completely arbitrary line that is entirely gendered. Oh, that's so stimulating, Vanessa, and I'm I'm totally with you. And I feel like Amanda, you're you're opening up this question again that we have, you know, struggled with throughout the podcast, which is what do we do with blessings and characters that are really troubling? You know, you you rightfully point to Petunia's child abuse, right? Like she is not a good guardian for Harry. And yet here is something that we we really can bless in her, perhaps. I'm just so reminded of Brian Stevenson's wisdom where he says, you know, none of us are the worst thing that we have ever done. And so I, I guess I'm I'm still sitting with this question of what do we do? And it's not an easy one, but I, I, I really appreciate you pointing us to one way forward and pointing to a gift that Harry has inherited. Casper, it's now time to offer a blessing. Who would you like to bless this week? Professor Pomona Sprout. Amen. First of all, I didn't know her name was Pomona. Me neither. And in a chapter where we have Oliver Wood, we have Percy Weasley, I say no. And I say yes to Professor Sprout because she says this line that just took my heart, squeezed it in half, wrenched it apart, and then threw it to the wild hyenas of Brooklyn. You know, we talked about this this momentary exchange that McGonagall and Sprout have where their look of understanding happens. And Slughorn says in the background, you know, we can't defeat him. He will win eventually. And Sprout says, but we can hold him up. And there's this grim look of understanding. And that just uh, broke my heart because it embodies all of this self-sacrificial love and courage that we praise Harry for, that we praise Dumbledore, like all these people who we praise, like there is Sprout, steady, loving, generous, creative in her magic, and just dedicated to the very end, just as every other character that we're celebrating. And I just, I just love her so much for that clarity amidst the chaos and the kindness and courage and goodness that she just embodies. I'm just total team sprout, Hufflepuff forever. And then she starts listing plants. (laughs) She's like, I think I have a cactus that's pretty spiky. We could poke them in the eye. I'd like to see Death Eaters deal with this poison ivy. I have an orchid that's so beautiful that he'll get distracted and then we can kill him. And I'm like, yes, Sprout. (laughs) Oh, I love her so much. All right. Who are you blessing, Vanessa? I mean, the big moment to me in this chapter was that McGonagall was back. I was like, like, don't worry, anyone. The real leader is here. Everything will be fine. 
And what I want to bless her for in this chapter is her relationship to Harry, where before she knows Harry is there, she's like, but Potter is in my house. Even though he's like a criminal now, she's like, he's my criminal. I love him. My baby. And then the first thing that she says to him when she's talking to him is, you must flee. And I think that to your point earlier about the difference between generations, like we love Neville and his little organizing spirit that he sees Harry and he's like, great, you're here to fight. And then we love McGonagall in her like grandmotherly phase of life, looking at a child and saying, get out of here, protect yourself. I love her. You must flee. (laughs) Ugh, we stand Sprout McGonagall Alliance Joy Flitwick and others can come too. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. Join our local groups and come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. You can leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail. Sign up for Casper's Pilgrimage. There are a few spots left, January 7th to 10th, reading book one, and you can learn more about it at harrypottersacredtext.com and help us make our new podcast at patreon.com slash notsorrypod. We'll be taking off the next two weeks for the holidays, but Vanessa and Matt will be back with a special Outpost episode on January 7th. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Amanda for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, and of course, our beloved Stephanie Purcell. Happy holidays, everyone. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, joyful celebrations, whatever you're celebrating. We're so glad to have you with us. Chug-schmug. Chug-schmug. Jingle bells, jingle bells.